you know, the music industry is, is a tough place, but they can make it better by infusing that humanity and goodness in everything that they do. If you're a creative person, if you're a baker, a dancer, a photographer, a screenwriter, an actor, a comedian, a podcaster, and you want to figure out how to make a living doing what you love, this is the show. This is the show. Don't keep your day job. My name is Kathy Heller, and I'm a singer-songwriter. I make a living doing what I love, and I want that for you. This is the show that's going to help you do that and give you not only inspiration, but some real-life strategies. This is going to help you figure out how to take your creative passion and turn it into a profit. This episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job is brought to you by Blue Apron. Check out this week's menu and you're going to get your first three meals free with free shipping. Just go to blueapron.com slash dreamjob. You're going to love how good it feels and great it tastes because you're going to be able to create incredible home-cooked meals from blueapron.com slash dreamjob. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. Those of you who left us reviews, really, I wanted to say thank you because it helps us so much. When you review our show on iTunes, it helps our show move up the iTunes charts, which helps us get more exposure, and that just helps us keep making this show. So thank you so much. So I've decided to roll something out that I'm really excited about. There's been so many emails coming in. People have questions. So I'm doing a couple things. Number one, I'm going to roll out a full step-by-step online course. This course is going to have videos of me speaking. It's going to have worksheets, slideshows. It's going to have exercises for you to do. And at the end of this course, you're going to have a comprehensive game plan of how to get to where you want to go. How do you reverse engineer what other people have done? How do you use the online tools available to grow your market? How do you create an audience? How do you create content? What kinds of things can you use to streamline all of this? This class is going to help you figure out how to do the research, how to reach out to the people you need to reach out to, and what strategies have worked time and time again. I can't wait till this class goes live. If you're interested in the class, go to the Facebook page. There's going to be a link and you can click on it and you can get more information about the class and when it's going to roll out, et cetera, et cetera. By signing up for the email list on my Facebook page, you will also get a discount code so that when the class is open for enrollment, you will get a discount. So that is one thing. There's been so many fantastic things going on. I love that this community is growing. I love how vibrant it is. I love how people are really there posting on Facebook, supporting one another. If you haven't checked out the Facebook page, please come and do it. Now, getting back to the Facebook page, I wanted to talk about some of the awesome things that are happening. It's so cool to see people listening to the podcast and then actually taking some action in their life. It makes me feel like this is all worth it and I love seeing it. So here's some of the things that have been happening. Danny posted, he said, I've recently started listening to the podcast and he said it pushed him and his girlfriend to start a blog where they were going to review vegan restaurants and vegan food trucks and help give people who eat that kind of food a full experience of all that's available where they live in Philadelphia. Andrea posted and she said that she entered a writing contest for the first time. She said she's been wanting to do that since she's a child and now she's 33 and she did it. She entered a writing contest. So that means so much to me and way to go, Andrea. That's awesome. And I was going to say, Andrea, Post some of your writing on the Facebook page. Let us see it. Nicole posted. She said she's so excited because she started this cupcake business and now she booked her first wedding. She has to do 300 cupcakes for this wedding. She said it's a good thing she loves what she's doing. That's definitely true. And finally, Greg Franklin, he has a business called the Cheesecake Ninja. He's been posting 
photos of these delicious looking cheesecakes and greg was saying that he's finally connected with some people and he's going to now as a wholesaler he's going to have his cheesecake in a local coffee shop so i just love 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 hearing all the things that you guys are doing i love that you're making these creative pursuits come to life so continue to come to the facebook page continue to tell me about it and if you want to be part of an experience where i'm gonna hold your hand and walk you through step by step what can you be doing to start getting this off the ground then i definitely think you should join the course because in the podcast i do my best to give you as much as i can and then we interview and then we interview awesome guests and we hear their stories but this class is a comprehensive how-to so i'll be rolling it out soon and i can't wait to have some of you in the class and get to know you better in the class we are in a time that is unbelievable the capacity that you have the resources that you have there is no excuse anymore years ago if you wanted to create something if you wanted to build an audience you didn't have the internet you didn't have the means to even create those things now if you're a designer you can sell things on etsy to someone in a totally different country if you want to have a meeting with someone who's going to be a virtual assistant who lives in china and you live in new zealand you can do that if you want to create graphics that are amazing you can use canva.com and create a postcard or a facebook post or an instagram you can do lots and lots of things from your own laptop you can build an audience you can build a list of people interested in, in what you're doing you can create content like a blog or a podcast or youtube how-to videos and you can start putting things out there there is no good reason why you can't be doing what you want to do one of the things that you're going to find consistent through all of the people that we have the pleasure to interview on this show is that they do stuff. They don't wait for someone to come into their life and make things happen for them. And what's beautiful about you listening to these stories is that you realize there is so much you can go ahead and be doing. And once you start asking yourself these questions, and once you start doing these things, the momentum is gonna take on a life of its own. And all of a sudden you're gonna realize just how much you can get busy doing. And by doing that stuff, so much is gonna happen. You know, I read a great quote yesterday. Somebody in our Facebook group community posted it and I loved it, he said, and it was by Milton Berle. And the quote was, if opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. And I love that. And it's so true. If opportunity doesn't knock, build the door. Build the door. It's time to step up. It's time to step up for yourself. I've heard it said, it's better to finish something than try to be perfect. And the more you finish this thing and then the next thing and the next thing, eventually it will be incredible. It will be a masterpiece. But getting it done, getting it started, getting it finished, moving on to the next thing, that trumps it all. Okay, guys, I want to talk to you about Blue Apron because I've been using it now for a few weeks and it's awesome. I love that they've taken all the guesswork out of making a home-cooked dinner. They send me this box that they leave in front of my door and it's packed on dry ice and there's chicken and there's fish and there's vegetables and there's all different kinds of delicious things. And they pre-package all the ingredients so that I can open up the box, we read the two recipe cards that they include, and then we get to make these awesome meals. So this week it was curry and it was fish and it was so fun and there's no waste because they're very eco-conscious and so they make sure to pre-package everything and there's no preservatives because it's all fresh. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. It's really that simple. So they set the highest quality standards for their community of local family-run farms and fisheries and ranchers, whether it's coconut curry or miso butter, Blue Apron is bringing you the absolute best. So I'm really grateful to Blue Apron for supporting our podcast. And remember, when you support our sponsors, they go ahead and support us again. So it's so win-win. And if you go ahead and you use this link, blueapron.com slash dreamjob, they're gonna know that you were listening to us. So they're gonna give you your first three meals free with free shipping. Just go to blueapron.com 
slash dream job. All right, so now we're going to dive into this interview. We have Ben Bram here. He's just done some amazing things. He started out a student at USC, joined an acapella group. Next thing he knew, he was working on the sing-off, he was working on Glee, and he wound up starting one of the most incredible groups out there, Pentatonix. And we're going to get to hear your story now, Ben, of how that all came together. So glad you're here. Thanks for having me, Kathy. Oh my God, such a pleasure. I'm such a, like, personally, like such a fan of Pentatonix and everything else you've ever worked on. So it's like very cool to get to hear how this was born. Oh, thank you. So take us back to the start. We want to hear the whole journey. So when you were a kid, were you playing piano and putting together acapella groups? <laughs> what were you yeah, doing? Yeah, I was, um, I started my musical journey, I guess, started when I was like five years old. I started playing piano. My mom t- likes to tell the story about how I wanted to be a conductor and I loved Esapeka and his crazy hair. And <laughs> I was just like, I just loved music. And at fir- first it was classical and then it was, you know, kind of pop rock and like kid songs like Rafi and all right. that. And then, um, yeah, so I started with piano. I did classical piano. I got kind of bored of it. I ended up spending a lot of my time playing fake books so kind of improvising over these yeah. kind of well-known songs noodling around that's what i love to, to do most um mm-hmm. and then i started playing trumpet and french horn in like middle school and so i was in jazz band and orchestra i arranged brass quintets and a string quartet in in high school so i was always just like really hungry and just doing as much as i possibly could musically in, in high school mm-hmm. i I had a rock band, a, a ska band outside of school um, called Eleventy, and so we we produced like two EPs and did a bunch of shows at the Roxy and Whiskey. Um, we wrote a musical together, kind of Ben Folds Five piano rock with a string quartet, and we took it to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. But yeah, so I, in high school I was kind of trying to be a film composer, and then when I auditioned um, at colleges and I saw these other composers with giant portfolios and I had just like a little string quartet and like a minute and a half orchestra piece. And I was clearly out of my element there and and was not at all prepared for composition training as I thought I would be. And then you went to college and- And then I I went to college, I went to USC. I ended up majoring in music industry um, because I really just wanted to be in the the music school there. Um, And I didn't get into the composition program. Um, but I got into USC proper, so I ended up transferring wow. into music industry. Um, These are the stories and, that they look back and they're like, we should have accepted Ben Bram. How are we Yeah, I think it's either, either George Lucas <laughs> or Steven Spielberg didn't get into USC film Yeah, school. Steven Spielberg. And then he went ahead and like donated and all this donated, money. Yeah, he exactly. went to school in Long Beach. Like the guy... Yeah. Couldn't get it. It's amazing. Okay, so you're in that you're in that ilk now. Okay, so then you go to school, and what's happening then? Yeah. So I first of all, when I'm in high school, I'm always wanting to sing more, but I don't have time. I wasn't in choir, didn't have time for it. I was an orchestra, jazz band, all this other stuff. And then I knew when I went to college, I wanted to do acapella. I really loved hanging out with singers and performers. They were really fun, a lot more fun than instrumentalists sometimes. <laughs> um, so I kind of wanted to like hang out with them. And I thought being in an acapella group would be a really good way to do that. And also, I wanted to arrange and direct and kind of just explore that world, that vocal world a little bit more. All right. So this is where the so, seeds start to come together. Yeah, exactly. So I, I go to USC and then I 
auditioned for an acapella group there, which is pretty much the best acapella group at USC, which is the SoCal Vocals. I didn't mm-hmm. get it in the first time because oh I haven't I haven't been singing for you know I I like had a voice but I wasn't a trained singer I didn't really have experience singing right. so I was a little rough around the edges so I didn't get in the first time I got in the second time which was in the spring of that year mm-hmm. and once that happened I you know I definitely couldn't see myself playing French horn professionally which is not really ever what I wanted to do but it was an instrument that I had that I could have a bachelor of music in right. so once once i realized that i kind of switched gears and i was like i'm just gonna do jazz vocal i'm gonna switch out of french horn and really pursue that more i was taking jazz piano lessons trying to get into more advanced harmony so i was really kind of shifting gears towards the vocal side no one needed me as a french horn player anymore um so that's kind of when that happened and at the same time in soca vocals i was arranging I became music director the next year. Uh, we started winning the international championship uh, wow. twice. Wow! Uh, and you just joined. <laughs> I had I had just joined like a year and a half prior to that. Wow! Yeah. So then things started happening for the group. I started getting more involved with acapella. I was also um, songwriting um, and music directing bands. There was a, a pop program starting at USC which is now huge and awesome. Chris Sampson is the guy who headed it up and started it. He's a great mentor of mine. I took songwriting classes with him. He's fantastic. But yeah, so it wasn't only just towards acapella, but just towards vocal music, towards pop music. I loved that world. I love songwriting. I ended up, I was writing with who now became Banks. I knew her as wow. Jillian Banks, who I wow. actually, I went to middle school, high school, and college with her. And we oh ended, I didn't really know she was a musician until college. She didn't really tell anyone or perform anywhere. She was very secretive about it. So we started working together, and that was a really cool collaboration. So I kind of just found this new vocal world. Wow. And at the same time, acapella was getting more and more popular. Glee started happening. That was kind of the first thing. And then the sing-off took off. And that um, was while you were in college? That was while I was in college. That was like towards the end, junior, senior year things just kind of vocal music, group vocal music started becoming more and more, more and more popular. That's so amazing. It's like the universe conspired with you. Like everything came together (laughs) at that exact moment. It's true. There's there's more creepy, there's more creepy timing beyond that. Well, tell me. (laughs) Um, So the sing-off happens, the the Soka Vocals, we put a group together of mostly alumni and some current members to be on season one. And so I ended up arranging for that group. Even though I wasn't working for the show at the time, I was just arranging for fun, for free, for my friends to get on, get the arrangements on TV. It was really thrilling. And they were like, oh, we need, you know, a journey medley this afternoon because they changed our song and we have, to, you know, they didn't have an like a arranger in the group who could do it that fast because they were on the show. They were pre- rehearsing and they didn't right. have time. And I was just like in school at my internship and so they would kind of call me and I would I would just arrange for them just because they, they needed it. And so how many people auditioned for it? Do you know how many groups? Oh, I don't know. How I mean, thousands. I, no, hundreds. Hundreds. OK. Hundreds. And they picked yeah. what, 10? They picked that first season. I think it might have been eight. Wow. Yeah. OK. Then I'm kind of noticed by the vocal producer of, of the show, who's kind of the king of acapella, the father of modern acapella, Deke Sharon. 
Um, and he, him and Ed Boyer, who was also a vocal producer on that show, and he's an amazing mixer that I still work with pretty much every day now on pentatonic stuff and other stuff that I do. Um, so both of them kind of noticed me that I was arranging really quickly and it was pretty good and the group sounded good on it. And so they kind of kept that in mind. And then season two rolls around and they need someone to add to their team who was local because NBC didn't want to pay to fly someone out and house them and everything. So they needed someone who lived in LA who could hang, who could coach groups, who could arrange quickly. And they brought me on. So that was the moment that everything else took off from, right? Like that was... Yeah, that was the one thing. I mean, that was really the thing that convinced me that a career in acapella was a viable option. Because until then, I didn't think that. I knew I wanted to do music. You know, at that point, I wanted to, you know, produce or arrange for like pop and co-write music direct in like the pop music world. But I didn't consider that acapella would be a viable career path as its own thing until the sing-off job happened. And the, the creepy timing that I was going to get to was the day that I graduated college was when I got the final call from the NBC producers and we had had interviews and it was kind that of... That day? Not, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a sure thing that I was going to get the job yet. So I was kind of waiting to hear back from them if it was all good. And at my graduation brunch was when I got the call from them to say, you got the job. We'd love to have you. We'll see you this summer. Oh, my God. Sometimes the world winks at you and you have this synchronicity and you know, like, I mean, that's crazy timing. Yeah, that's it was pretty weird. Totally. Um, you have to you have to prove that you can do it and you can't just kind of ask for it and say, hey, can I work for the show? You have to like I didn't right. ask for it. I literally got a call from Deke saying, hey, you want to work on the show because we've seen your work. We know right. you can do it. Exactly. Come yeah. do this. And I wasn't even expecting that. Yeah. So tell me what it was like the first day you worked on that. What was that like day one? How do you feel walking in there? Were you, I mean, what was it that was feeling It was nerve wracking. Like? I mean, I was, <laughs> I was like a 22 year old kid going into my first real job ever. And I'm working on a NBC primetime TV show coaching singers who were much better than me and who were much older and more experienced than me. Oh so God, yeah, that's it, was, truly... it was a little bit intimidating. Like when you think about the sentence you just said, like your first job ever is on a national TV show. Like, yeah, insane. It was crazy. And we, you know, we were there till midnight most of the nights coaching groups and like getting everyone ready. Yeah, it was great. It's it was intense really fun. and amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens after you? How many seasons did you wind up being there? So I was there for season two, three, four, and then five was like a shorter season. Okay. Wow. Um, it was like more like a little special. So yeah, so two through five. And then kind of from the sing-off, a lot of other gigs and opportunities happened. The first one was working on Glee. The Warblers used to record the Beelzebubs, which is the the Boston group from, from Tufts. It was like a real college group and they would record them. And my buddy Ed worked on that and recorded them in New York, Connecticut. And then they ended up moving the Warblers out to LA and having session singers do it. So I was kind of called in with my friend Rob, who who also worked on Sing Off, to come in and help help coach and produce. Ed still arranged it and sent us the arrangement. And then we had 
you know, Alvin Chia from Take Six, who's a legendary bass singer, come in and sing bass for this like pretend high school group for Glee and all these amazing session singers, Luke Edgman and a bunch of other people. And we got to kind of coach them and it was really cool, really thrilling. Oh my gosh. And so much fun. Yeah, it was great. So um, here you are, you're, now you're working on Glee and what happens after that? So Glee, I believe the next thing that happened was Pitch Perfect. And God, you know- It was at, such at amazing point, like, confluence of events. It's crazy. Exactly. Things just God. kind of spiral. One thing leads to another and right. acapella is getting huge. And Deke, Deke Sharon, again, is kind of the main vocal guy for Pitch Perfect. And he, mm -hmm. he brings me along to help him and Ed create the, the music, do a few arrangements, help record, help coach the actors through all their parts. Because we're, we're dealing with actors, not singers. And right. and there, there were some session singers that sang as well, but all the actors sang something. Um, mm -hmm. Whether it's just their solo or, or whatever it is, they all had to learn their parts and lip sync it correctly and record it correctly. So I was kind of there drilling it. Uh, you know, I was in with Rebel Wilson, like showing her how to do whatever <laughs> her part was or with Esther Dean on her beatboxing section or, you know, Anna Kendrick with her line here. Like, so that was a really cool experience going into the kind of fictional world out of the reality TV world into wow. like, okay, this song is going to serve the story. And that was just a whole other bag of tricks too. <laughs> it was so amazing. And you know, the truth is not every movie is a smash. This yeah. movie was like, epic like people went crazy that soundtrack broke records it was like yeah i mean it was the first it was really the first thing to put acapella in that to show it in that light to have this this group of girls like scrappy girls pulling all their resources together to kind of bond over this really cool singing thing yeah it was incredible um, yeah i just want to give a shout out to Julia Michaels and Julianne Jordan, who are oh, yeah, I love them. people I've worked with. I just adore them and so proud of them, what they've gone on to do from there. They just did trolls, yeah. like amazing. Totally. Um, okay, so what happened after that? You did both Pitch Perfects? So we did both Pitch Perfects, and in between the first and the second one, Pentatonics starts to happen. This is first. Okay, so tell us about together. that. Where does, where does that begin? So it begins with Scott, um, who's the baritone, coming to USC. In the, in the pop program, he comes to USC the year after I leave. Mm -hmm. So I graduate 2010, he comes in the fall of 2010 and joins SoCal Vocals and is kind of this incredible young singer, just kind of carving his own path and doing his thing. And he also sang with this trio back in Texas, Kirsty and Mitch, the, the three of them happened to be in you know the same high school at the same time and put this trio together and they won like a lady uh some kind of radio contest for their version of telephone so i'd already seen that little trio video and saw that they had an incredible blend and charisma and like chemistry so first i meet scott yeah. um scott is the only one in la at this point kirsty is in oklahoma in her first year of college and mitch is in his last year of high school still in arlington texas oh wow so okay they're kind of all spread out but they have had this kind of amazing singing connection in high school. So Scott is at USC doing the pop program. He's in my acapella group that I have mm. just graduated from. Uh, we meet up and talk and my friend Rachel actually talks to him first because she was in another group that I put together um, for the sing-off season two 
called The Backbeats. And she had an awesome experience and she was friends with Scott. So she kind of talks to him, takes him out to lunch and says, you should really do this. <laughs> he doesn't know this is like the biggest lunch of his life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she was basically like, you should absolutely do this. This is going to be amazing. So that happens. Then Scott and I meet up and start kind of strategizing. So we have our kind of soprano, tenor, baritone, and now we need a bass and a beatboxer to really have a complete sound. We need the bass and drums because we have the yeah. harmonies and the, the leads already happening. Okay. So there was this guy that I went to a barbershop rehearsal with a long time ago, and he was supposed to come to the audition for Rachel's group, the Backbeats, but got sick, which also was probably weird timing because if he hadn't gotten sick, he would have gone to the audition and probably would have been in the group and then potentially not have been able to be in Pentatonics because wow, he would have already been on the show. and I love how you see it that way. That's really cool. Yeah, just like a lot of weird things just kind of happen and, and you look back later and say, oh, if that hadn't happened this way, yeah. things would have turned out totally differently. And what was um, his name? Avi Kaplan. So okay. Avi was like a super bass. He is a super bass. Amazing low end is able to do like huge operatic bass sound and also like a vocal bass, like imitation of an electric bass kind of thing. Wow, cool. Um, so he's good at everything. He's a very rare bird in that <laughs> way. So I call Avi up and say, hey, there's this trio. We want to put together a group, a five-person group for the show, for the sing-off. Are you interested? He's like, yeah, sure. Like he's seen their, their trio videos. Like they're awesome. That would be really cool. So now it's me. Avi and Scott in LA trying to make it happen. The last piece of the puzzle is a beatboxer. And we go through a few different options, meet up with people that aren't quite right for one reason or another. Their groove isn't really right, or maybe they're a little too old and their look isn't okay. quite right for the group. Yeah. You know, we kind of have a hard time finding this last piece of the puzzle. And then I go, I visit Oregon and visiting my, my friend Jonah and he shows me this video of this guy playing trello and beatboxing and it's Kevin. Wow. And I was like, this is the guy we've been looking for the guy and that's him. We found wow. him. <laughs> I so immediately. Such, such juxtaposition, and that's such a cool juxtaposition, the cello and beatboxing. Like I never would think one yeah. person would do both of those things. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why the video got so many views and why Jonah knew about it and showed it to me. So it's like, right. if Kevin hadn't have done that really cool thing, then we wouldn't have known about him. So after that happens, I send it to Scott. I was like, I have a really good feeling about this guy. He's musical. He knows exactly how to like perfectly accentuate what else is happening in the music without overpowering it which mm -hmm. a lot of beatboxers don't really know how to do. A lot of beatboxers are solo artists and they go and they jam and they do their set, but they don't necessarily have to support another entity. Uh, yeah, uh, it's interesting. But Kevin was incredibly musical and knew exactly how to do that because he had to kind of balance his cello playing with his beatboxing in a very musical way. Right. So after that, I reach out to Kevin. Um, he went to Yale. We, so we have mutual friends who were in the Whiff and Poofs who were on season two of The Sing-Off. So yeah. I reached out to my Whiff and Poof friend who connects me with Kevin <laughs> and we're like, hey, we're starting this acapella group. We think you'd be a really great fit. Do you want to come out to LA to audition with us? And Scott and I ended up splitting his plane ticket. Oh um, my God. And covering it 
so he could come out to audition with the group because we had such a good feeling about him and knew that it was going to be it. You know, this, oh, this guy is the one. Yeah, so, clearly. That's commitment. Yeah. So then what? So then the only time they can all gather is the day before the audition. People were busy with finals and graduation and all that kind of stuff. And so everyone gathers at the SoCal Vocal House. We have a house that everyone lives in. So everyone meets there. Scott and I have arranged a couple songs for the audition and they start singing through it. And Kevin and Avi, the bass and drums, they're kind of gelling instantly and have found this kind of mutual groove. And that's really important for the bassist and the drummer in any ensemble, but especially an acapella group um, to really have that groove together. So they were gelling and the trio had been singing together for years. So they were killing it. And, you know, it, it wasn't the pentatonics that we know today, but it was really great. I can't believe you're meeting for the first time the day before the audition. Yeah. Well, everyone comes with their parts learned. <laughs> but it's still, it's like, you just wouldn't think that. Okay. So then yeah. what happens? They go to the audition and are totally awesome. And, yeah. you know, it's it's not phenomenal. It's not extraordinary, but it's it's something special. It's something different. And it's there's a more of a potential for chemistry there than there are for most groups that get the audition for the show. So then they're on the show and they have an amazing run season three and they end up winning and being on the show kind of allows them to really find their sound and they're doing a lot of the arrangements by themselves and that was the the name was something that scott and i came up with kind of texting back and forth it's like oh the five note scale pentatonic scale five people um they also sing a lot of the pentatonic scale like when you do riffs and runs it's like a lot of pentatonic motion it's amazing. You make like millions of decisions in your life, which mean nothing. And then you have a text yeah. conversation and that text means like everything. Exactly. <laughs> so, so they win. And then what happens after they win? Um, they win and they get a record deal um, with Epic. And at the time, Epic, they kind of know that it's not really going to work out with Epic. L.A. Reid is was heading it at, at the time. I'm pretty sure he still is. But they kind of knew he wasn't super keen on acapella and that it wasn't going to be a fruitful situation for for them with that label. And they really wanted to find a label that really like got exactly what they were trying to do and could support them and make sure they could actually release music and not have them just sitting around for a couple Uh, of years. Yeah. So they end up getting out of that deal and going over to Madison Gate Records, which is more of a, just like a, a boutique soundtrack label, right. which is part of Sony. And they're basically just distributing at, at, at that point. So they're just kind of helping them along, giving them a little bit of money. And they're they're kind of making all the creative decisions on their own. And when you um, say they, where are you so in this, this is, picture? This is Pentatonix and their manager, Jonathan Calter. But you're, you're, you're arranging it, you're producing it? or, or Yeah, is it- so at, when we started doing recordings, which the first thing we did was... Um, PTX Volume One. Mm-hmm. I'm arranging it, co- co-arranging it with them. Right. I'm recording it and producing it. Right. So it's really you guys. It was like yeah. what you guys were doing, not them and you, but you're part of this whole ensemble. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. the the whole team, and we were creating videos and doing. Yeah, the and you're the head videos. of this team. Right. Yeah. You're very humble. You're like, so what they were doing, and then they got a regular like, like <laughs> well, your I mean, baby. It, it it is, but but it's really a complete collaboration. Like everything we do, they have 
such strong feelings about and they have such input and it's it's not at all me kind of leading them around like they are completely right. we kind of just vibe so well and have this vision so yeah it's we really do everything together so that's beautiful that you think of it that way and i'm sure it's true i mean that's what yeah. makes the chemistry so great is that you give everybody a space to have a voice exactly like when someone just does something and and gives it to performers to do it, it f doesn't feel as organic as if right they have a part in actually creating it. And that's, I think, why they've worked so well is that you can really feel that it's everything they do is is their style, their individual style and their group style. And it's not someone put a piece of music in front of them and they're just singing it. It's like, right. it's a lot deeper than that. After, after the sing-off, they're starting to release videos, live videos mostly, yep. and creating this kind of new fan base on YouTube Yep. you know branching off of their sing-off fans but it really starts gaining a lot more more traction through other people and that's really kind of what builds their brand right i mean i know for me that's when i became their fan is watching youtube videos and they were just creating that content on their own yeah i mean yep. i i filmed most of those early videos mm -hmm. and we did one which was gotier somebody that i used to know right amazing and that was kind of the big turning point. And I think that video was the biggest video they had done at that point. And so that kind of put them on the map more. And it was, that was like a Huffington Post, you know, check out sure. this band, did this cover yeah. of, well, you know, they started kind of getting that kind of recognition, which is, which was really cool. I'm just looking how many views that thing has on YouTube now. <laughs> just curious. It's uh, 56,600,000 right Oh, that's now. it? Oh, yeah. that's too bad. You guys should aim a little higher next time. And that was 56 million views. And that was in 2012. That wow. was a, forever ago. Oh, my God. Yeah, because now you have videos like the Hallelujah one, which is recent, which is 133,435,000 uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> views from four months ago. In four months. Oh, yeah. my God. Wow. Oh, my God. Not bad, Ben. Way to go. Um, Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So they start putting out all this content. The YouTube videos become sensational. Everyone's seeing this, and they're still with this label at this point. And they right, put out still the record with, with Madison Gate. And then at at some point, they switch over and kind of go label shopping and take a lot of meetings. And they end up going with RCA, which is also a a Sony label. Mm -hmm. And they find a really great team there that kind of gets what they're doing and supports them, and and also allows them their space to kind of create what they have been always creating. Right. Um, I think a lot of labels try to take too much control over the, the creative side. Yeah, of course. And when you have an already successful act like, like Pentatonix, you know, you really just want to give them the freedom to just do what they've been doing and keep doing it. And that's what RCA has done. And it's been really great. Since then, how has your life changed? I mean, when did you guys win the first Grammy? Um, that was... Two years ago. Amazing. Yeah. Were you freaking so that out? Was 20, 2014. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was insane. It was crazy. You never think. Like, you never expect it. You never th expect to be nominated. And it was just a really cool experience. What was that moment like when they called your name and you're like, Pentatonix? Well, it was different. From the first year to the second year was a very different experience. Because the first year, we were all there in that room. So the best arrangement award is given out at the pre-ceremony. So it's like from noon to three and it's only streamed on the internet. So it's not the big not the same height. televised yeah. right. situation. You're basically there with all the other people 
who really care about the music and the engineers and sure. all the work that goes into it. Right. And it's not about the glitz or the glamour. It's really just right. about the music and the musicians. It's a really cool thing. A lot of really cool people there. It's probably even more fun for a lot of yeah. reasons. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a totally different vibe. It's yeah. really just about music. So we were all there that first year and we all went up and I didn't say anything and Scott spoke and they spoke and it was great. And I just got to stand there and smile and, and have fun. And then the <laughs> second year, they were performing with Stevie Wonder at the, at the televised telecast. So Insane. they were rehearsing during that ceremony. So I was there with my family and friends and I accepted the award alone on all of our behalf. So that was really scary. <laughs> you know, the music industry can be a, a pretty ruthless place. Yes. And, yes, it can be. And I think what we've tried to do is is surround ourselves with people who really respect humanity and, you know, see beyond all that and really just are there for the music and for people. To hear you say that, especially where you are now, where so many people would just wear such a huge ego and forget like, why you love doing this. I ask this to a lot of our guests, and I'm just curious, like, because especially what you just said, like, what's your why? Why do you want to make music? I make music, you know, to lift people up. And also because I'm good at it and I'm not, I don't have a lot of other skills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I love making music and it's like a language to me. I'm, I'm better at it than English. <laughs> what do you think it is about people who are truly great? What do you think makes them great? I think a lot of the time it's, it's like their soul and, and their communication you know, you can have someone who's an amazing singer or an amazing guitar player or whatever it may be, and they're doing all the right things and they're playing all the right notes, but something is, isn't is there about it. Yeah. And it's like that heart, that human connection that not everyone is able to communicate. Yes. You know, there, there are certain people that it just flows so naturally. And yes. when that is paired with extraordinary talent and work ethic, then you get the greats and you get people who are really able to touch lives. That's so beautiful because it really is true that when you focus on what you can give and you really show up, everything comes together. And I love that that's still a law in the universe. You know, it really is yeah. true. Like. PR can push all different kinds of things at us with marketing, but people know when something is coming from yeah. a real place. Yeah. And I think that's also a big part of why acapella is so is so popular and why the, the group is popular is because they kind of present music in a unornate way. You know, it's just kind of organic. It's coming from them. It's their voices. And it's it's beautiful, you know? It's like, it's nothing that's been oversaturated or right. synthesized or- It's not modified, you know, it's just Not raw. modified, yeah. not marketed. It's just like, just them and their voices. Yeah. And people really gravitate towards that. So right now, what's your day-to-day -day like? You've won these Grammys and you're working with this incredible group that you put together. What else is going on? What's your day-to-day -day like? My day-to-day -day is always different. Right now, we're working on our volume four EP which has been really great, really crazy stressful, lots of deadlines to meet, <laughs> but that's great. And then when that's not happening, I kind of have room for a bunch of other projects, which is really great. I do a lot of commissioned arrangements for scholastic and professional acapella groups. I do some vocal con contracting. So I'm like recommending singers for things and putting choirs together sometimes. 
I have a camp that I started with mm. Avi Kaplan uh, and Rob Dietz, who worked on the sing-off. So the three of us started a camp for high schoolers called Acapella Academy. That's like the thing that the three of us are most proud of. You know, Avi is in Pentatonix, and I've worked with Pentatonix, and we both won Grammys, and and Rob has an amazing acapella career that he's had, and the the, the three of us just like really cherish our camp as the. So how does that, that work? If people are listening so, now and they want to audition to be in the camp, how does it go? So it's for 13 to 18 year olds. You send in an audition video with a bunch of kind of specific stuff that we lay out on our website, which is acapellacademy.org. Okay. And we get, you know, over 500 s- submissions each year and we kind of peel through them obsessively and listen and kind of pick out the people that we think would be a good fit, both musically and kind of the vibe that we're going for. Sure which is this kind of very egoless, generous musical community. And we, we really try to instill that in all of our, our campers and you know, tell them that you know, the music industry is, is a tough place, but they can make it better by infusing that humanity and goodness in everything that they do. But yeah, so camp, we have over 500 people audition. We choose about 60 to 70 each year, and they come from all over the world. This year we have... Uh, people from Croatia, from Japan, Taiwan, wow. New Zealand, all over the place. And they come together and we put them into groups. So we put them into like eight different groups of all different musical styles. We have like a folk group, like a funky pop group. We've had gospel groups. It's we it's all over the map. It's really fun. And we kind of put the the kids in the groups based on their voice and their vibe and what kind of music they like. And we really try to create these distinct little pockets of musicality. And we have a bunch of incredible arranger directors leading these groups. So it's like eight of our really good friends who are heading them up. And we have an amazing staff of instructors and counselors to help out. And we just kind of hang out for 11 days and put on a big showcase at the end. And we bring in guest groups and we go to the beach and... It's amazing. So this is 11 days. It's in LA and this is in the summer? Yeah. June 29th through July 9th, I I believe, this year. So I imagine your auditions are already over. Yeah. We already have our groups. They're already starting starting to arrange and kind of figure out their set list and everything. Do you plan to do it next summer in a year from now? Oh, yeah. We do it every year. This is our fourth summer. Okay. So people should... And so it's an ongoing thing. Unbelievable. Um, I mean, bringing together people from all over the world in today's day and seeing them come together with this language, like this is the language the whole world speaks. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. is, and you've created that experience. That's amazing. So if somebody's listening and they wish they could be making a living doing acapella, what's your advice to somebody? Just do work. You know, so many people in the music industry try to network before doing the work. You know, they like try to push a product that's kind of been underthought and under studied and and if you do good work, things will happen, you know. Mm. So I would say that and and not focusing on how to get the gigs and, and all that stuff, but just really making something good and then putting it out there. And you know, once you put in the work, then you can network more and send it out and everything. But but right. I would just put the emphasis on doing a lot of stuff for free Amazing. before you can get paid for it. <laughs> I have a caroling company 
called Snowfall. Oh my um, God. When do you sleep? A Jew, do you sleep? A Jew with, a, with a Christmas caroling company. <laughs> <laughs> but um, every great every great Jewish musician has a Christmas album, whether exactly. it's Barry Manilow or Barbra Streisand or Neil Diamond. Yeah. Exactly. So I have a little caroling company that I started this year, and I want to keep that going and grow it. And basically, that's just an excuse to hang out with my singer friends and rehearse and get them gigs. And yeah, it's been really fun. So I just kind of want to keep expanding all the projects that I'm working on, taking on new ones, and that's it. That's amazing. Where can people find you? What do you want to direct people to? Do you want to give them your website? Like, what do you want people to look at? Oh, my website's whatever. Uh, it's thebenbram.com. There is just a, just some stuff. I would say Acapella Academy, that's the thing that I'm most proud of. And I hope that if anyone listening knows any talented singers, 13 to 18, that you will pass that along to them. And if anyone in the LA area or outside of the LA area but is willing to fly us there, anyone wants Christmas carols, basically we do the... Uh, pentatonics Christmas arrangements in like a new five person group. So it's a, it's a rotating group and we've done a bunch of gigs all over LA and it's really fun. So if anyone is interested in that, the website is snowfallla.com. Amazing. Wow. It's such an incredible story, but the best parts of it is how much gratitude you have and how much purpose you put into your work. It's truly extraordinary. And I'm so happy that people who are that good get to be successful like that's how it should be you know so thank you i know you're just going to continue to get to do a lot of cool stuff in this world so awesome that was so much fun to listen to all right so here are the two biggest takeaways that i think we can walk away with from what you just said number one when you get rejected you keep going i loved how he was just talking about how when he auditioned for usc he didn't get into a music performance major he got into usc proper and he just went to school anyway he wound up being in music industry as a major and he just kept marching ahead and then he auditioned for the socal locales and he didn't get in so he worked on his craft and the second time he auditioned he got in so incredible the second thing was you show up before you have any certainty, you just do the work anyway, and so many doors will open for you. And we talk about this all the time on the show, but he showed up for his friends who were on the sing-off, and while he was at school, and while he was already spread really thin, he helped them. He was arranging for them, he was sending them stuff. As a result of his enthusiasm and his hard work, and the fact that he showed up, regardless of whether or not he knew anything was coming from it, he wound up being offered a job and his very first job at a school wound up being at NBC. So I think that that kind of attitude and work ethic is so paramount and we can definitely walk away with that. So thank you, Ben. If you're feeling inspired, if you're liking what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. And if you have a friend who you think would benefit from this, tell them about it. Leave us a review on iTunes. We want to know what you're thinking. We want to know what you want. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. We look forward to hearing from you. I want to give a shout out to the amazing team who makes this show possible. Special thanks to our executive producer, Tim Street, and producer, Emma Kikuchi. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com.